so we get asked this question a lot because I feel like a lot of people just don't really understand the differences between apps. Um, so like what kind of app do people want to build, right? Um, you hear all the time, like PWA, um, which you might know is a progressive web app. Um, you might hear like native apps or like iOS, hybrid, Android, yeah. hybrid web apps. Like, okay, they're all apps, but what, what does it mean? <laughs> what does it mean? <laughs> um, that's a really good question. There, there are tons and tons of different kinds of apps out there. Uh, the most common you started to list off are typically either web apps, um, also sometimes called websites. I'll, I'll get more into the difference in a minute. Um, native apps for iOS, Android, PC, slash Mac, slash Linux, um, hybrid apps, and progressive web apps. So probably the most common type of app, believe it or not, is a web app. And a lot of people visit a website, you go to, go to a URL, and more often than not, what you're interacting with is actually an app, not a website. And I mean, everybody probably uses at least a dozen of them a day. And the difference is a website is sometimes people will just be referring to the URL location of the web app, or it'll be like a static web page. So you go to a landing page, there's zero interactivity. It's just, here's info. Like think 90s blog kind of thing. Um, you've just got that HTML file that sits there and does nothing. That would be more of a website. If you go to any kind of online tool, like Facebook, for example, um, is a web app because it has a whole bunch of different app functionalities inside of it. Like you've got your chat going on, you've got notifications, you've got the live feed, you've got streaming, you've got video services. All of that complicated stuff makes it a web app. Um, and there are the the most common for people to interact with, hands down. Um, they're also kind of the most versatile because you can deploy them anywhere. Like you set it up on your website, your URL, and anybody who goes there can interact with it on any browser and accessibility is just through the roof. Um, the problem is that they lack some capabilities. Like if you go and try to set up you know a file system or push notifications or access bluetooth or terminal commands on the computer you can't you used to be able to <laughs> actually but it was a major con uh, security concern that's why technologies like adobe flash and i'm blinking the name of it but there was a java one um, that got deprecated in the early 2000s uh, oh, geez, what was the name of it? Anyways, these technologies existed so that you could kind of, as kind of a go-between, and you could access files on a user's computer, but they were getting abused, and that's where a lot of malware and hacking and all that stuff was coming from. So in our modern technology, web apps are sandboxed into your browser. Like, that's all they have information on, and where people run into trouble and get hacked and get viruses is they have to download something that they can execute on their computer. And that's when hackers can take control. Other than that, like if a hacker 
tries to hack into your system just straight through your browser, they really can't. Was it ActionScript? No. Or is um, that part of Flash? I don't remember where ActionScript came in. It was an actual... It wasn't servlets. Maybe it was applets. Anyways, it was basically like Java ran on your computer and in the browser and they talked. And it was an intermediary that allowed you to do things on your computer through your browser. Um, which, for reasons I just listed out, bad idea. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why they killed it. Um, but anyways, so you have a lot of those limitations of with a web app, you are just sandboxed to this environment. Can't really access files. When you go to upload a file, what's actually happening is your browser in a separate uh, thread is saying, hey, the user wants to pick a file off their computer. Can you give me a list of files? And it's in a sanitized, safe environment. And a browser would actually be a native app. Yep. And the browser is a native app, so it can act as an intermediary. It can access the device. But it's not like actively feeding the website information. Mm -hmm. It's, hey, give me a list of your files. And then when you click on a file and you say, hey, I want to upload this image as my avatar or whatever, it's not saying, okay, here is the physical device, the location of the file on their computer, go in and do your thing, web app. It's creating a temporary hashed URL that then passes that over to the web app and says, here's a URL where you can access this file they want to use. And it's very sanitized. It's very sandboxed. So web app, like, I don't want to go too much deeper into the technical, how it all works. The high level idea is web apps are super versatile, deploy once, run anywhere kind of thing. Mm-hmm. but they have extreme limitations of what they can access as far as user information goes. Okay. Um, native apps are probably the next most common, um, and those are built specifically for the platform they're deployed on. So like an iOS app will be built in Swift or Objective-C specifically for iPhones and iPads um, and now the M1 Max, but that's a whole different story. Yeah. Um, Android apps will be built in Kotlin or Java, which really Kotlin will just be transpiled into Java anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're built specifically for Android devices. If you go run a program on your computer, there's a lot more freedom because with desktop, at least for PC and Linux, um, Mac, not so much. But... You've got a lot of options for what language you can use. There's a lot of freedom. So your stack can be wildly different if you're wanting to build one of those. Um, But the point is, they're built specifically for that platform in that language. And like with native apps, you'll end up with a whole bunch of different code bases. Like some of my clients want an Android app and an iOS app and a desktop app, and there will be three separate code bases, one for each of them. Mm-hmm. And kind of the the benefit there is it's more optimized, like because it's specifically for that, and it's going to run a lot faster. You're going to have a better time, like with user experience. Um, the drawback is, and I think pretty much everyone's probably experienced this, like there's an iOS version of the app that you want to use. 
and there's an Android version of the app that you want to use. And one of the two will have a shiny new feature that you want to use, but it's not available on your platform yet. And you got to wait six months. So it's two separate projects. One might be slower than the other. Yep. Um, and one of them might have a major bug that doesn't exist on the other one. So a benefit to having a native app, though, like you said, you end up having like multiple code bases, which is hard to maintain, but sometimes you need to do it because it allows you access to sensors and like things that the device is good at doing. Yeah. So like maybe AR technology or GPS or um, like the old Bluetooth. Yeah. Any of the sensors, right? Yeah. So that's a major plus to native apps is they have access to all of that stuff. And like with iOS, for example, they've got like the AR kit that's built in for Apple technologies um, that you can access through that, that you can't access through the web. Like, yes, AR technologies exist for web web apps, but they're nowhere near as refined or um, powerful as those native options. Um, As close as people are starting to get. Like, yeah. it's just not there yet. Well, it just like having the sensors for knowing if the, like how the phone is moving and just like, yeah, well, all those, geolocation, po- yeah, like, all those things you can leverage to make AR even a better user experience. Right? Yeah. And like, even with those base geolocation, I have a client that requires for government compliance, um, when they take photos of what they're doing for their app they are required to tag it with geolocation data to make sure like we're doing this sanctioned job that we're getting reimbursed for and it is on site. Here's proof. Here are pictures that we took with stamps proving we were actually there and not faking it. Mm -hmm. And you can't do that in web, Um, especially since it's so easy to spoof that location. Right. I I turn on a VPN and... (laughs) Right, exactly. So, major benefits are better performance, full access to all of those systems. Drawbacks are multiple code bases. And, like, for product owners and people wanting to build apps, it can get super spendy really quick when you've got all these different projects. Mm -hmm. Especially where most of them are going to be written in different languages. Like, it's not like you've got two developers and... They can just tackle your iOS app and then tackle your Android app and then tackle your desktop app. You're probably going to have to have separate developer teams for each of those. Right. Um, So the next one is a hybrid app. And the basic idea... This one, I feel like, is where a lot of people will get confused. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) So I will be super clear with this one. Um, Hybrid apps are actually what we build mostly with uh, HGA. Um, and they are essentially written for web and then they're wrapped in a container. So that same idea that I talked about earlier of you've got a browser and the browser displays the web data um, and the browser itself can access system functions and your files and all that stuff because it is a native app. Mm-hmm. That's essentially what a hybrid app is doing. So you've got a native app that is a wrapper for what you wrote for the web. And it's just filling in, like, here is the web data. Here's what's supposed to be displayed. Here is your app written for web, displayed in a native container. And it gives you access 
to most of the native functions. Like it can access most of those systems. Um, if you've ever heard of React Native, like most people have when they're looking for how do I get my app built and a whole bunch of people shill for React Native and this is the best thing ever. Mm -hmm. I disagree, but um, that's that's what that is. You're building out web functionalities in JavaScript or TypeScript or whatever web language you choose. What What is the, the benefit of doing something like that versus going completely native? So there are a lot of benefits to it. Um, the first is a singular code base. Okay. So it gets rid of that problem of I've got six different code bases for my app and a different team for each one. Um, you can build out your app for Android or iOS or even like desktop through Electron using this. Mm -hmm. um, so you've got one code base, one single source of truth. You can deploy fixes almost instantaneously in some cases. I mean, there's still the review process and everything, but it's a lot easier to track down bugs and fix them. Um, and depending on the technology that you're using, there's always going to be that difference in um, the app's performance because you've got a whole other layer of app in between everything. Mm -hmm. And so it's not going to run technically as fast as an app, like a native app, okay. like a fully native app, because those are optimized for the hardware that they're on. Um, a hybrid app is always going to run a little bit slower because physics, like there's, there's no way around it. However, if you do it right, it's not really noticeable to the end user. Um, so you get that benefit of singular code base. You get that benefit of easier to debug, find things, fix them once, um, and you're done. And it really gives you the best of both worlds because I've done Android apps, I've done iOS apps, and I've written a lot of web apps. Um, and the native technologies that exist for mobile apps, um, they are getting better. But with things like Swift UI that got released or Jetpack Compose for Android, they're really moving more towards what web has been doing for like ever. Mm -hmm. um, and web, its primary purpose is just displaying stuff. So it's already optimized for that and for like building out UIs and stuff using things like Svelte where you've got components and you can build out your UI super quick and it's um, universal, works really well everywhere. You can size things right and rearrange things based on the size of the display. That has been the concern of web since the dawn of web. Mm -hmm. So as far as building out UI and focusing on user experience, it has a pretty clear advantage. Um, but because you've got that wrapper level, you've got that thing operating that makes it a hybrid app. Um, you also have access to all of those systems that we mentioned earlier, like Bluetooth and the file system and AR systems. Um, so you, you get a lot of the best of both worlds and, you know, again, singular code base saving you time, money, and risk. Mm -hmm. Because with each of those different apps, you've got a risk of things breaking. You've got a risk of bug introduction. Um, where here, like if you've got a bug, it's going to be everywhere and you can fix it once and you're done. Yeah. Like I've said a couple of times, but that's a really important aspect of it. So 
I don't mean to derail you. Um, like from the sounds of it, why would anyone ever choose to have a native app with multiple um, projects and source code versus always doing like a hybrid version? Um, a lot of it depends on first off um, on the tech side of things, stigmas on hybrid technologies, because it was just really recently that they've started to kind of come into their own and get really performant. Mm -hmm. Um, like five years ago, react native was just slow and you had all kinds of problems with threading. Um, because not to get too technical, but a thread is basically a process that's running. And the problem with web and JavaScript is there are no threads. So everything is running on the same thread as the UI. And if you've ever like tapped a button and things have just kind of frozen and it just sits there. It's a traffic jam of data. Basically, yeah. <laughs> it's somebody didn't handle async pro asynchronous processes right. And you press that button and it's hitting an API or something. And it's waiting for the response before anything else can update. Mm, okay. And if something breaks on JavaScript, if there's an error, something crashes and it's not being handled right, it can actually stuff up the entire app. Like in some Angular projects I've done, I've had an error come back from the database and it wasn't being handled right. And suddenly the display of everything was broken and everything looked horrible. Username was in the wrong spot data wasn't being filled, like the whole website seemed broken or whole web app seemed mm -hmm. broken. Um, and that was just because there was an error on the main thread. Whereas with native, you have those threads. Um, but recently there was this idea of what's called a web worker um, introduced into JavaScript and into browsers where it's essentially the browser is creating threads for you on the computer and saying, here, you can access this. And so that is getting a lot better. And these technologies are starting to leverage those. Performance is getting better. Um, so there's that stigma that's existed for a while of they're slower and horrible. So that barrier is pretty new to being like kind of breached. Where yeah. it's leveling up to native. Yeah. Um, another reason is just straight up performance. Like I mentioned earlier, it's never going to be as performant as a native app um, and especially like if i'm building a game then first off i'm going to use a game engine because of course but a hybrid experience is off the table yeah. like not gonna happen um just because of that performance concern um and another reason is finding developers like if you need something that is absolutely unique to a platform um sometimes the support for that especially with with react native um the support for that can be sketchy um and then oh what was the name of the c sharp one xamarin oh yeah that yeah. was it i've seen a lot of apps made in xamarin that you know, connectors were broken. They weren't translating properly. You couldn't actually access native stuff because the tech itself was having problems. Um, and that's why we at HGA use a different version of that called NativeScript. Um, and that's why we use Svelte Native and all that stuff. 
is because what native script actually allows you to do, it's the same idea as React Native, they just took a different direction. And rather than trying to house everything under React Native's umbrella, they said, here's a web framework or a, the native script framework, because it doesn't have to be a web language, that you can basically do the same thing, but you can also write platform-specific code for it and run those files as part of the process. And it'll only include, like, if I make a build for iOS, it'll only include the Swift or Objective-C files. It won't include the Android ones. If I build for Android, it's not going to include the iOS files. Um, and that allows us to directly access anything going on on the device. So like if I need Bluetooth, there's an actual, on iOS, there's an actual Swift file that I can write and say, hey, I've got this thing going on over here. I want to be able to call you. And when I need Bluetooth access, I need a list of the Bluetooth devices. Or when I need geolocation, I need you to just get the geolocation for me and send that information back over. Um, and that really breaches that barrier because now I can access everything as if it's native. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't have to do all of it. And I can reuse a lot of that code between Android and iOS and desktop and so whatever environment. Essentially, your, your large individual native um, code bases just become little snippets of code. Yeah, exactly. And just a lot easier to maintain overall. And so if I've got like an account page, I only have to write it once. Yeah. Instead of I've got to write it once in SwiftUI, I've got to write it once in Jetpack Compose, I've got to write it once for a desktop. Um, but kind of that broken technology that we've had in the past has been a major barrier. Like people will run into that and they'll just be like, well, this is stupid. And it has cost businesses money because things that are out of their control they can't fix. Mm -hmm. um, and that's a lot less common on a native platform. Um, and another hybrid technology that I failed to mention earlier is Flutter. Um, and it's a Google library. It uses its own proprietary language called Dart. Um, it wasn't my cup of tea, so I didn't stick with it. But that's also available to have that singular code base. And it basically does the same thing. You just tell Flutter... Uh, as the same thing as native script, sorry, you just tell it, Hey, this is the component that I want. And it generates the files out for that platform, which is what native script does the whole way it's set up in Svelte. I can just say, Hey, I need a native button and here's the label for that button. And here's what I want you to do when they click that button. And it'll actually generate out here's the native component for that platform. And I don't have to go change anything yeah. based on whether it's Android or iOS. It's pretty awesome. Um, but anyways, yeah, it's that it's the performance barrier and problems with the technology that are out of your control mm -hmm. that people shy away from hybrid apps for. But it's becoming a lot more common to just do that. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, the other type of app that's fairly common is I don't know how we're doing on time. I forgot to start my time. 24. Okay, cool. Um, the other type that's kind of fairly popular and gaining popularity is a progressive web app. Um, and that's what Perfect Form is currently built on. And it's essentially a web app that you can install directly on your phone. 
It comes with its own little native icon um, and it runs through your browser, but it looks like a native app on your phone. You can add an icon for it. Um, and it's the most important aspect of it for us and a lot of people is it lives outside of any app store. Um, that's another drawback to native and hybrid apps is you have to go through the app store. And with iOS, um, I feel like they cut the fee down at some point, like a year ago or something. Yeah, I mean, but we kind of had the trap when you're selling digital goods, they take a large chunk. Yeah. And you have to have, you have to use their in-app purchases. and Yeah, and anything, any money that flows through your app on a native app or a hybrid app, because, you know, essentially the same thing, it has to go through Apple and you have to give a cut to Apple. Mm -hmm. That's how they make their money. Um, and, and that fee can take a large chunk out of your business. Yeah. And like with perfect form, our margins are so thin. Like we don't, like we barely make money on any transaction on our platform. And we actually built that model on purpose because we, we want more community driven life changing platform. That's our end goal. Right. And we want enough to sustain the technology to keep it going, right? Yeah, for sure. And so going through the app store can seriously put that at risk. Right. Um, because both Apple and Google take fees out. Yep. And and I believe it's anywhere between twenty or thirty percent. I haven't looked lately though. Yeah. Because there was that what epic lawsuit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a whole tangent, but I freaking love Epic Games. Um <laughs> Basically, long story short, for anybody who's interested, this is the TLDR version. Um, Epic decided with their flagship game, Fortnite, that Apple wasn't doing anything to help them get business. Like, if anything, it was the other way around. Mm -hmm. And so they implemented an app store, like a, a payment system inside of Fortnite through Epic Games that circumvented Apple's systems and they weren't giving Apple a cut. And like, honestly, the whole thing was a big game of chess, which is hilarious to me because Tim Sweeney, the CEO of Epic Games has for a long time railed against Apple and the app store and its predatory practices. Mm -hmm. Um, Because a lot of reasons, including like being able to just rip apps off the store that they don't like and then Apple turns around and introduces you know the same functionality under a shiny new name as a native app yep but anyways um so initially people were just like why did you break terms of service like that this is stupid but he was actually standing up for the little guy because you know a mom and pop shop or hey i go develop an app i don't stand a chance against apple in court like they will sue me into the ground for six generations yeah Epic Games makes a lot of money (laughs) and they have a seriously strong legal team. So he was basically just baiting Apple into fighting him. Mm -hmm. It was a, you want to pick on these guys? Okay, bring it over here, buddy. Um, But when Epic did that, they also brought to light under legislation and in the legal system, a whole bunch of monopolistic practices that were going on. 
And to take the heat off of themselves, Apple said, hey, uh, everybody, we're reducing the fee because we're the good guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so they did reduce the fee. I'm wanting to say it's like 12% or something like that. Did um, it really drop that low? I think I'm so. Curious. I don't know. Jacob's going to look it up. But I don't remember what that, what the number exactly was. But it used to be like 30%. Yeah. Um, but the whole thing was just hilarious to me. And like from the game development side, I've seen games get ripped off of the app store just because Apple didn't like the premise. Like there was one game, I don't remember the name of it, but it was pretty politically driven in a direction that Apple didn't like. And so they just removed it from the store. They said, you can't have this here. Which is another reason why PWA's progressive web apps are so amazing is they don't live inside of the app store. They don't play by those rules. They cut it in half for small developers, 15%. Yeah. But then what's funny is um, an article written that in the Netherlands, Apple will charge 27% commission for app purchases made uh-huh. using alternative payment methods. You, uh, you want to see some funny stuff? Go look at what they're doing in South Korea because that's so apple made that announcement they said we're cutting the fees but they're trying to use like bylaws and crap and location specific things like geographically limited things to not buy not stand by what they were doing and still try to get away with they'll allow third-party payment options in south korea 30% 30% fee on any digital purchases. Uh-huh. So it's the same thing. So they just, it was, that so, was what I was just saying. So is, you can implement a third party. So you're probably paying like three and a half per, to 4% plus Apple's 30% fee. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's exactly it. Yeah. So it's all these games and which is like, we have, we have no choice with perfect form. Yeah. And we've already discussed if we do ever do native apps, it's going to have to be a lot like um, like Kindle. Yeah, where, where you, you go and buy it on the web, it on, the, on web. the web, and then you can like do read only, view yeah, only. Yeah, you stuff can use it as a native app. Yep. Um, but anyways, progressive web apps live outside of all of those rules, and no company, whether it's Apple or Google or Amazon or whoever, can just rip down your server because they feel like it. But they do try to make PWAs difficult. Um, They do. Apple is not... Apple specifically. Like, PWAs were actually originally built by Google and then made open source and turned into a whole thing. Apple really does not like them. Mm -hmm. And for that reason, like, I, I love Perfect Form and I'm glad that we went the route that we did. But on Safari, things have been a lot harder. For Um, sure. They... It's not like Apple has come out and said, screw PWAs, but they are actively making decisions that make it a lot harder to navigate the PWA world and make things work. And a lot of functionalities that are working on Android do not work on iOS. Yep. Um, And so we we can't just do PWAs and call it a day because a lot of those features that you'll find in native apps, we don't have access to. So it ends up being if you need anything more than uh, a web app, 
you need probably a native version. Yeah. And like another problem with PWAs is adoption's probably going to be a little slower. Adoption. So for whatever reason, people don't like going to a website and saving the shortcut. Like they don't under, they yeah. don't understand the concept. I feel like. Yeah. They don't know what's going on and it's hard to get them to follow along. Like they just don't get it. They'll just and keep it's... going to your webpage and then it's just <laughs> yep. ugly with the URL bar and like all the yeah. browser buttons. And like with a PWA, when you install it, on those your go device, away. Those, those go away and it looks like a native app yep. and it's great. But if you go look like just in a browser, it's still going to have all that stuff there that. Yeah, you lose detracts. all the real estate. Like, <laughs> Yeah, you lose a lot of real estate and it detracts from the experience a lot. Um, just to keep kind of forward momentum because we're hitting yeah, time. Sure. Um, how do you choose? Like, I know we've kind of touched on this throughout this whole conversation, mm -hmm. but how do you decide what is the best option for you? So there are three things that we really focus on when we're making that decision, whether it's for us or for a client. Um, the first one is the requirements of the app. So what core features does this project require? Um, we had a client approach us about building a system for um, their restaurant and they wanted an access system built in. So like, you know, NFID kind of stuff where you RF. are NFID. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm tired. Leave me alone. Um, it's an RFID where you move your phone towards like the, the pad that's sitting there. It detects it, authorizes and lets you in. Um, kind of like hotels and key cards. Mm -hmm. That kind of functionality is possible with a native app. Absolutely not possible with a PWA. Right. So just because you don't have access to the RFID. Yeah, exactly. Technology. Um, and so, like for something like that, we say, okay, well, PWA is off the table. Yeah. <clears throat> Hybrid app, if it was outside of native script, would be questionable. Um, so our options are hybrid app with native script or full native apps. Those are, that's it. Um, if they want to avoid the app store, which I'll talk a little bit more in a second about, cause that's part of the process, then native apps are off the table. Mm -hmm. Like unless you go the route that we're talking about with perfect form of buy everything on the web and read only on the app. But then like things like that compl complicate development on the back end and you write more code. Well, just and to... it takes away from the user experience. That too. Like, so it's it's hard to plan like because you're actually stripping one of the most important features of a, a marketplace in perfect forms case mm -hmm. out of <laughs> out of you're that. stripping the marketplace out of a marketplace. Yeah. Like, so like what the hell do you do? Yeah. And I mean, even with Kindle, I find it really annoying that I have to go to the web. Oh, it's the worst. Like, but I also support their decision. Yeah. Like, it. from that standpoint, I get it. The average user probably won't. No. They're, like, when they don't know about the whole App Store fee thing and all oh, that. Oh, and you're not allowed to explain it. Yep. Apple frowns upon you explaining it. <laughs> frowns is a very nice way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> Apple will bury you if you explain it. Yep. Um. They're like Disney. No one messes with the mouse. Um, but anyways, so requirements are a huge part of the decision. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, so requirements are a major part of the decision because they tell you what platforms you can even talk about. 
Like that's so that limits it, it right off the It knocks side. them out real quick, right? Yeah. Like it's pretty quick to determine what our clients or f- possibly future clients need. Yeah. Um, the second thing that we look at is the reach. Like where should users be able to access the app? Because that can determine technologies. Some people want an iOS only app mm-hmm. or an Android only app. Um, and so that can limit like what do we use? Um, if they want it to be accessible on the web, then that changes things. And you go with like where the strongest argument is to make everybody happy with where you want to reach. Um, and this also includes like user experience. Because like we said with the whole marketplace thing, you can set it up so that we could avoid the app store fees with a mobile app, like with a native app. But how much is that going to detract from the user experience? And especially if you're not like Amazon. Yeah. And well, even Amazon, like you can't link to your a browser. Yeah. To say, go do the purchase here. Well, what I was going to say is if you're not like Amazon and have that stability and yeah, we can afford to lose some users. Like, yeah, you pretty much just like in our case, we would allow bookmarking or saving a yep. plan and be like, oh, you can't purchase this right now. Or here. Yep. you can't purchase this here. <laughs> you can't purchase this here. And then you hope they figure it out. But, or a message like can only be viewed after purchasing. Yes. And then right. like that's it. That's we can't it. even say purchasing on perfect form. And when you frustrate a client or a user a lot, you lose them. Forever. Forever. Because they won't like your process and they don't actually understand the reasoning behind it. Well, and users hold a grudge. Yeah. Like they will absolutely be like, I used this app seven years ago so like when we actually if we ever go native with that option like and i think like we have a lot of really cool features on our on our future list we're going to have to do it but we have to implement it very yeah we have to spend a lot of time considering how to implement it like you ux is a very long conversation yeah and a very long process until it's perfect for sure um, so the third thing that we look at are app store limitations, which I think we've gone into pretty in depth already, yeah. but it's just like, does the client or do we want to avoid the app store for whatever reason? Yeah. Um, like whether that's the app store fees that we've gone into a lot, we want to be safe from having somebody pull our app down because they don't like it. Like that game that I mentioned where it was politically driven and Apple said, nope, we're taking it off and they ripped it off the app store um in 2020 there was an app called parlor that apple google and amazon all said you're on the wrong side of the political aisle for us and you have 24 hours before we shut down your servers the app is being removed from the stores immediately just with no notice Mm -hmm. just screw you we're taking your app down like that's also a consideration of do you want protection against that because like a PWA, you can't really do that. Right. Like if you're hosting on AWS, sure, they can turn off your server and turn off your services, but you can also wrap it up and go to some other yeah. service or host it yourself. Well, like, right? um, unfortunately, in the climate of things, this was a big conversation when we talked about hosting and our DevOps side of things, which is why we went with Docker containers mm-hmm. and like very basic like servers, right? We just have Linux boxes that we SSH into. And the reason behind that is we can take our packages and spin them up in five minutes anywhere. Yep. So if DigitalOcean decides they don't like us, 
well, we move. Like, we're not going to allow ourselves to be cut off. Yeah, like, worst case scenario, we can run perfect form off of my computer in my basement. Right, like, exactly. Definitely not optimal. No. <laughs> but, like, we have that freedom because of the stack that we've chosen. Yeah. Um, so, really, those th- three things, the requirements, the reach, and limitations for the App Store are what we typically look at first. For deciding how do we choose, like what platform we want to build for, how what kind of app we want to build, um, and then there's always the performance concern, like I mentioned earlier. Of if I'm making a game, then it's pretty clear I'm going to be using a game engine. Yeah. So because I need optimal performance on every platform, and I need the same experience, um, which is a whole nother conversation. But you know, if I need that performance, then native if i don't need that performance if it's like a shopify website or a marketplace or something like that where i can very easily get away with having a really good user experience without like the full power of whatever device i'm on then you know that changes what is available Mm -hmm. can i say something that no is just gonna is just an exciting thing no about perfect form no (laughs) I'm, i'm gonna i'm gonna um so we went the PWA route with Perfect Form, and we've taken a shift, and we're going to be using a game engine. We're doing some. We really, sure are, and I have never been more excited in my life. We are doing some really cool stuff, um, and I think we're we're going to be changing the way people look at fitness apps. Oh, for sure, it's a lot of the capabilities that we are introducing. Like we're with... doing cool shit. Yeah. I'm I'm excited. And sorry, I just wanted to dangle that carrot. We can't talk <laughs> about anything more, but I'm so stoked. More details to come. Yeah. Um, but yeah, game changing. Game changing stuff. For sure. So yeah, um, at the end of the day, it comes down to user experience um, and the requirements we have to meet for your product or that you need for your product, right? Yeah. And so it can shift. And like with HGA, we're always going to do our best with guiding you with what we believe is the best, most affordable option for you. Mm-hmm. Long-term and short-term. For sure. I am I'm one of those people that always looks at the long-term. Like, mm. <clears throat> yes, you can save some money or save yourself some time short-term doing things. And sometimes that's necessary. Mm-hmm. But it's like with any startup, you know, hey, we we banged out a bunch of features in three weeks. Okay, great. Now you're going to spend nine months fixing all the bugs. Yeah, I was just going to say, sometimes it's important to invest in your infrastructure yeah. at the beginning, especially if you got big goals. Yeah, so, for sure. Well, and that's why we're moving to a game engine with perfect form is a lot of the goals that we have for the platform. After a year and a half of work too, by the right? way, is sometimes it's not easy to stomach and it's a lot of work, but we also realize it wasn't what we wanted it to be. Yeah. Well, and I mean, in my heart, I'm a game developer Yeah. and I mean, in case that <laughs> wasn't an indicator. Um, and so like the idea of, Hey, we're going to use a game engine is amazing to me. I'm excited. This is great. But I also look at, I've been working on perfect form for a year and a half. And then Jacob one day just goes, dude, I'm not liking what we did. 
<laughs> we gotta trash everything. <laughs> and that's pretty much how the conversation went. And Ben took it better than I thought. You know, I I turned off the camera and I wept for a little bit. And, <laughs> and I let them. You have to give your developers the space that they need to be emotional. <laughs> you know, turned off my microphone. Why do you always break my heart? The whole nine yards. You yeah. know. And then I was cool with it. So. Yeah. And I just you know gave him his moment of silence, and then. We turned around and planned something really. He told me, awesome. "Buck up, Buttercup," and then, um, but yeah. So there's always that trade-off, and you always want to make sure that you're investing your resources in the best way possible for your future, not yeah. just what can get me something like today or in three weeks, yeah, kind of thing. Because um, eventually, you're probably going to have to go back and tear that down, anyways. right? Yeah. So. Anyways, just those main ideas are how we choose, like, what we're actually building. Because, you know, narrowing down based on requirements, reach, and performance, and app store limitations is a pretty quick way to cut it down to what are my actual options. Yeah, it's pretty easy. And I feel like a lot of the words, you like, you did such a good job explaining what a hybrid app is. Now everyone is going to feel more comfortable when they, they know what they're talking about. I hope so. And they'll be like, I want a hybrid app. I mean, that's fair. But yeah, so awesome. With gas prices like this, I'd want a hybrid too. You need a full electric vehicle. (laughs) What's an EV app? (laughs) Peace out.